Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Welcome here. So glad you're here on this wonderful Super Bowl Sunday. Um, not quite the right teams in the Super Bowl, but we'll get over that. Um, welcome here. We're here to focus on Jesus and uh, repent of our sins. And so, yeah. Hey, my name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're joining us online, thank you so much. Thank you for being here in person. However it is, God is calling you to engage with him right now. We are thankful for your faithfulness and commitment to the body here at Midland Free. Let me pray with us, uh, for us, as we continue our worship today. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your work in our life. And we know that uh, there are many mysteries and great troubles and uh, things yet to come that are understood only by you. But we pray that in each day, in every step, that we would be faithful to walk one step closer to you every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. All right, welcome here. Thank you for worshiping. Um, I want to get into it pretty quick today, but I want to just say uh, what, where we're at is in the book of Mark. And we're moving through the last couple chapters, and it's in, I suppose, I'm not an engineer, I don't know anything about this, but I've heard people use this term, it's an iterative approach that there's like multiple lines stacked on top of each other. So instead of like trying to take every single line at the same time, I'm looking at different scenes. If you're thinking about a movie when they go from one room to another location to another spot, that's what we're doing. So the first scene we covered was the Last Supper, which we called the Commission and the Cup, and we looked at what happened in that upper room. The next scene we will cover today is the garden scene. This is where Jesus prays, and it has all kinds of amazing things to teach us about God's love, our hearts, and especially um, when we beseech the Lord God and ask him for something. How do we go about doing that? And then the next couple of weeks, we'll look at Judas's betrayal. That's another scene. And then the denial by Peter. But as you read these stories, these, these narrative accounts, you'll see that they're all sort of happening at the same time stacked on top of each other, but I'm just approaching one at a time. So we did the commission in the cup. Today is the garden. Coming up will be the betrayal and then the denial. So today we're looking at the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Um, This is something, a geographical spot we looked at a while back. It's a location on the Mount of Olives on the way from Bethany to the capital city of Jerusalem. It's a place that the disciples frequently retreated to. Jesus often taught daily in the synagogues and then when he got away at night he would go to this garden to pray you see that sort of um, represented in some of our traditions some churches will have prayer gardens or things like that it's following out of this thing that Jesus did where he engaged with the people but then he withdrew as well to restore so don't ever think that you have to just aside that you have to be with people all the time Jesus wasn't like you see these big scenes, but there's also a lot of Jesus like getting away to a lonely, solitary place and just being by himself in prayer. That's totally cool. That's okay. In fact, it's good. So Jesus does that frequently, and this is what he's doing with his disciples. Early on in the book of Mark, you saw him, we quoted it this morning, teaching them how to pray. And so that prayer we call the Lord's Prayer is actually not the Lord's Prayer. It's a disciple's prayer. The Lord's Prayer happens here and in John 17. This is what Jesus himself is praying. What he said earlier was what he's telling them to pray. 
But what you will see is those two things directly connect. Like conceptually, the big ideas and the big pictures that he's both teaching them to pray and that he's modeling for them in this very moment are exactly the same. And so I want to break down this prayer that Jesus does in the garden and really show you four parts of it and how that'll play out in your life. Actually, I want to give you four parts of this text and then I'll show you a couple parts of this of the prayer. So if you're taking notes, here are the four parts of this section of scripture that I see today. And it says the first one is trouble and temptation, trouble and temptation. That'll be one section. The second one is power. That'll be another. And then here's the part on prayer. Three, trust and four, submission. So trouble and temptation, power, God's power, our trust and our submission. Trouble and temptation, power, trust and submission. The part on prayer is just trust and submission. If you don't get anything else, get that and we'll come back to it. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32, says this. And when they went to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what your will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon... Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, I went away and prayed, saying the same words. And he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came to them a third time and said, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. First thing we see is this, the trouble and temptation that it's happening in verses 33 through 35. I want us to note this because I'm not sure how we think of Jesus, but I think some of us sometimes think like, yeah, it would have been cool to walk with Jesus because like everywhere he went, there was a miracle and all just worked out perfect. And there was no trouble and there's no temptation because he like walked on water, multiplied loaves and brought in the fish and I can't tell you how many times I've gone fishing and prayed for a fish and nothing's ever happening how does he do that it must be so much better to be with Jesus so much easier back then why it's much more difficult now but then you read the text and you see over and over again greatly distressed troubled sorrowful even unto death he fell on the ground 
he's having a hard time. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how else the authors need to say it. But essentially what the Bible is saying is that we have a faithful high priest who's been tempted in every way just like us. Jesus has bad days. He has hard days. He had difficult emotional struggles. He is not immune to the reality of anxiety or anything else that might come. He knew what was coming his way and it hurt him. It crushed him. It knocked him to the floor. Don't ever think that just because you're struggling that you're somehow in sin. The Savior himself was brought to his knees for the weight of what he had to bear. It is significant. It is emotional. It is intense. And there's no way out. He had trouble. Now notice the way Satan works. You need to understand this very carefully. This is the way Satan works, okay? He's our adversary. He's our accuser. We have an enemy and we have enemies. And he is at work like this. He doesn't wait until you're in the Bible study moment and you're feeling good and your life is all just right and all your friends are gathered around just singing kumbaya to tempt you. (laughs) That is not the way he works, you come out of Bible study and you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord, great song, got the, you know, hair standing up on the back of my neck. This is good. That's not when Satan's coming in. Right now, when you are broken, when you are hurting, when you are troubled, when you are greatly distressed, when you are sorrowful, when you are brought to your knees, that's when Satan will attack you. That's when he's coming. Because he's smart. He's not stupid. He's an angel of light. He's powerful. And when he learns that you're in trouble, that's when he's coming after you. Think about the roaring lion image. He's not looking for the big strong one in the middle of the pack. He's waiting until someone's got a sore leg and limping a little behind and then pow. That's when he's going to get them. Don't be surprised if you are attacked in your worst moments. That means you do have an enemy and he's out to get you and he wants to eat you alive. But that's actually a good thing. That means you're on the right team. He wouldn't attack you if you were on his team. But he wants to destroy you. He's a destroyer. And so he waits until you're hurting or limping or dragging along. And that's when the bad guy comes. There's trouble and there's temptation And that's why Jesus says to Peter in verse 38, watch and pray. Like, do you understand, Peter? This is the time. Like, when we're out there on the sea and we're doing the miracles and the people were cheering and there's a triumphal entry. Nobody's attacking right then. They were scared. Remember, they were scared. They didn't want to upset the status quo. But when it's dark, when you're lonely, when you're afraid. When you're away from your crew, when there's no crowds cheering, when you're hungry, when you're tired, when you're in trouble, that's when he's coming. Peter, you better be awake right now. Because when we're hurting is when we will get attacked. Watch and pray. Because the trouble is when there will be temptation. Young men, you need to understand that. Like Old men, you need to understand that. Your good relationship with your wife is all good. You're not having any trouble. It's when you're lonely. It's when you're traveling. It's when you're by yourself. Then temptation comes. Ladies, same thing. 
whoever, whatever, the reality is temptation is going to come at you at your weakest moment. And so you need to be really aware to be prepared when there's an opportunity for evil, that's when it's going to come and you need to do everything you can to prevent that. Don't get to that situation. Be proactive. Think about where you're going and what you're going into. And make sure you don't set yourself up for failure. Don't be alone at the wrong time. Don't get caught in a compromised situation. Be proactive. Number one, when there's trouble, there will be temptation. Um, But the good thing, of course, is that we have God's power to call upon. You know, there's no temptation that God's power can't overcome. There's temptations that we can't overcome, but there's no temptation that God can't overcome. Remember the book of Mark. This is how we got to this point. When we saw Jesus come onto the scene, immediately he went into the wilderness and he was what? Tempted by Satan. That's what happened at the very start. But he proved from the very beginning where Adam failed, he would succeed. And Jesus, the last Adam, then overcomes Satan and wins. And then he begins to exercise demons. And he throws out the legions. And the strong man has invaded the house. He has bound the enemy and beginning to plunder his stuff. And demonstrate that he truly is the Savior, the Messiah. This is the way it works for deafness, for leprosy, for bleeding women, for storms. Even for those who have died. Jesus overcomes. When the who is in the house, the house don't matter. Jesus wins. And so in this situation, Mark is a good storyteller. The narrative is built up at this point. I'm sort of expecting, now we kind of know the end, so it's a little bit of a cheating thing. But if you didn't and you read this for the first time, you might be expecting another miracle. You know, up until this point, everything has pretty much gone well for him. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 42. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Mark chapter 5, verse 42. Immediately, the dead girl gets up. Mark chapter 10, verse 52. Immediately, the blind guy recovers his sight. Mark chapter 14, where we're at now, Jesus says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And I would expect immediately the cup is gone. That's what happens when Jesus prays, right? He gets whatever he wants right away. Because he's Jesus. Not us, but Jesus. I want deafness, lame, storms, bread, demons. It all just goes away like that. So Jesus prays and he's suffering and he's struggling Shouldn't God just like, boom, snap his finger and it's gone? Isn't that the way prayer works? We pray and we ask God and we expect the answer right now, just like on the pages of scripture. You know, this would be a really cool time for another baptism moment or a transfiguration, right? Jesus is in the garden. There's bad guys coming. All of a sudden, Lightning flashes. You think I'm making that up. Look at Mark chapter 1 verse 9. It says in those days Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. He came up out of the water. And again there's that word that Mark loves so much. Immediately. 
the heavens were torn open. This is awesome. And the spirit comes down in a dove. You got the whole trinity there in one spot. And the voice says, you are my beloved son. Talk about affirmation. What about the transfiguration? After six days, they went up to a mountain. They're in a garden right now. They're close to the mountain. It's really close. Same guys, Peter, James, and John. Shouldn't we expect the same thing? There's a pattern here, right? He led them up, and he was transfigured, and his clothes became radiant white as no one else could bleach them. And there was Elijah and Moses. This is like the dream team. All the all-stars are there, and they're just talking with Jesus. I mean, now is the time for the kingdom to come and a cloud overshadows them just like in the wilderness and the voice says, this is my beloved son. Man, I'm expecting something good here. This is gonna be cool because when Jesus speaks, man, people listen. When Jesus speaks, the fire comes down. When Jesus speaks, he gets what he wants. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. You know, he said, let this cup pass from me. Verse 43. Sorry, thank you, Melissa. And immediately, and immediately, fire from heaven. He turned white. Angels of God. Judas. With a crowd, with swords and clubs. That's not what I was expecting. What about all the other immediate least? And Jesus prayed and got exactly what he wanted. Didn't he just ask for this cup to go away? And immediately, here it is. The very thing he didn't want is the very next thing that happened. Immediately, Judas What do we do when our prayers aren't answered? What do we do when they're answered very differently than what we would have them? This text shows us well in these two big concepts of trust and submission. I think in the original sermon title, I called it love and submission. I want to change that a little to trust and submission. What is going to happen here in the next few pages as we see this is the Lord's prayer. What I mean by that is this prayer that he's praying here is playing out. If you look again at verse 36, there is this Greek. Well, actually, originally it's an Aramaic. Turns into Greek, turns into English. Here it is. Here's the word. Uh, There's a slide up on the screen. It is pop. What we would call Papa. Uh, The first word on the top left is is the Aramaic version, which is Abba. And then there's the transliteration, just the uh, exact same thing in Greek, which is Abba. And a lot of commentators go back and forth on this. Does it mean daddy? Does it mean father? Um, it's a respectful term. It's one that you'd hear children use. And it implies basically a childlike trust in their parents. So you could call it Papa or Mama or something like that. Um, it, It is essentially demonstrative of a very significant relationship. 
So here's the first thing that I see when it comes to prayer. That prayer, the foundation of prayer is relationship. It's not ritual. It's not the right words. It's not the right direction. It's not the right people. It's relationship. When you come to God and you're able to say, Papa, that name has power. That calls to the Father's heart. That calls to the Spirit. And it draws him in a way that wouldn't happen if that relationship wasn't there. But because you know him, because he loves you, because there is a connection, in that case, you've got his full and undivided attention. So Jesus begins this prayer in that special way based on the relationship. He says, Abba, Abba, Papa, Papa, Father. It shows that even though God is this almighty, infinite being that can do anything he wants at any time, that he is still at the very same moment closer to us than anyone else. He's not distant. He's not aloof. But he is near. He is Abba, Father, closer than a brother. The foundation of prayer here is relationship. And as a modern believer, that's one of the things that's really cool for us. Some people think, well, I can't pray or I don't have the right words. I'm not very articulate. It really doesn't matter. Because someone that you have a good relationship with, they get you. Right, like You can talk to them however you normally talk, and they sort of understand it. Even if you feel like, oh, I'm a little bit blunt, or I'm a little bit this, or I'm a little bit that. Like They understand it because they get you. Jesus gets you. God gets you. And when you speak to him like this, you have to understand that he is a person. There's a lot of theological truths, and there's nothing wrong with bringing those into your prayer. In fact, that'll elevate your prayer and lift them up. But at the end of the day, Jesus is a real person. And so what you need is not an intellectual argument. What you need is not a magic formula. But what you need is to touch the heart of God. And you do that through a person. Like Jesus, he's real. He's a person. And that's one of the things, by the way, that makes evangelism fun and neat and easy. Because you can talk about him like you would any other person. We know how to talk about people. <laughs> some of us may not want to admit that. <laughs> some of us are very good about talking about other people. <laughs> but the reality is, Jesus is a person. And you can talk about you and say, hey, I may not understand all the finer points. I don't get all the references. I don't get the big arguments. But I know Jesus And I can tell you about him. He is loving. He is good. He is kind. He is true. He is faithful. He is just. And he has been that way to me my whole life. And even when things mess up and I don't understand, I see him walking with me through it every single day. Wouldn't you want to know a guy like that? He's a person. He's real. And when you get to know him, you can call out to God in relationship and say, Abba. Father, Abba, Father. All the prayer begins with relationship. The Lord's Lord's prayer we quoted earlier, our Father. It begins with relationship. There's no relationship, he's not listening. But because of that relationship, there's a special connection that brings him in. Abba, Father. Number one, it's relationship. And in that way, what we as children are obligated to do 
is trust, is to trust. Well, that's hard. That's really hard. And if you've had children or ever seen children, you know that's something that they struggle to do. Like, hang on, I'll get to it. I'll tell you in a minute. But, 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 come on, come on, come on. Just wait. <laughs> We're going to get there. It's okay. You don't have to be in a hurry. I love you. I'm going to take good care of you. But, 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 but. It's okay. <laughs> trust me. We've got this. Man, it's hard for kiddos to trust. And it's hard for us to trust as well. But that is the nature of a parent-child relationship. A good one requires trust. And when you trust, then what follows from that is something called submission. Submission. Like you have to submit. It's an obligation to obey the parent. It follows, it flows right out of that. And so when you look at that, that is exactly what Jesus does in verse 36. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, but your will. Hey, look, that sounds just like the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, we miss it when we go and pray, and I do this too, and we all do this. Like, Lord, here's my will, here's my kingdom. Can you fill in the blanks here, please? You know? Like prayer is some exercise to get what you want from God. But Jesus is saying that prayer is about God's will and God's kingdom and our trust and submission to that. And that's how it begins here in the garden. So even when Jesus doesn't want to go through this big time suffering, even when he wants the cup to pass from him, he can say, okay, but not what I will, what you will. And that's a hard spot to get to. But that's exactly where we want to be. The word submission is actually a Greek word called upotasso. Uh, here's a slide if we have it. It's two different words. Um, and I think it's cool because upo is behind or alongside of or under. And tasso is to line up. So it's a military term like they would do in drills. So the drill sergeant calls out. And all the people fall in line. They do this in taekwondo class and other places. But the idea is you line up under or you fall in line with the person who is in authority over you. And that's the idea here. When you're submitting yourself to God, you recognize his authority in your life and you line up with that. As a child, you can call on that special relationship. But you shouldn't rebel. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and we must submit our hearts to God. So, here are the four parts that I tried to get at today. I hope you see these through this prayer. Number one, there is trouble and temptation. We have that trouble. We have temptation. That's not foreign to us, and that's not foreign to Jesus. When trouble comes, so too temptation. But, in that moment, we know there is a power that we can call upon. God can do anything, you know? All things are possible for him. But even though they are, it doesn't mean he will give us what we want right away. And therefore, we have to trust him. As a child who calls out, Abba, Father, we identify with him relationally, 
We submit ourselves to him in an authoritative way. And we accept whatever outcome comes. That's what you see Jesus doing in this prayer. In verse 36, I encourage you to go back and read it this week and look at it. There's four lines and four parts. Abba, all things, the request, and your will. And that's the way it works. So um, as we get ready to close and uh, the worship team or whoever's coming out next gets, gets ready, um, I would just say this. Here's, here's the theme. Here's, here's the summary. When you fall into trouble and temptation, you beseech God's power, trust his love, and submit to his will. When you beseech God's power, trust in his love, and submit to his will. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus, your son, for his perfect power and perfect love. We pray, Lord, as we fall into trouble and temptation, we would trust in him and submit to his will. In Jesus' name we pray.